And the one thing that I do like about Anthem is that um, I like the transparency that we have. Uh, we're not afraid to be messy, and uh, we're not polished, and we're not corporate. So all of those are great things in my mind. And as I've put this message together for you this week, I call it my messy little sermon. So I think it will fit well here with where we're at and the things that are going on um, at Anthem these days. I, I do appreciate, and it's a shout out to Chris Laurie. I love the reference last week to the birds, okay? Just want to thank you to everything. There is a season and a time. Turn, turn, turn. <laughs> love it. And so, uh, because he set the table for that, I have to say that if I were to quote an artist, I'll quote Dylan today. And I want you to know the times, they are changing. Whether we like it or not, the times, they are changing. And we like to think that our lives will be lived linear, but the reality is that our lives are more like an EKG, up and down and all around. And there's times that um, it gets chaotic, and it's good to know that it may be chaotic to us, but it never is to him. Seasons come, seasons go, and change is imminent. So, a little background of my messy little sermon. Uh, this is kind of a tweener service, as you know. Uh, next week, I'm glad it's next week, although I'm, I'm liking the, the breeze and the sense of falls coming. But uh, hopefully the weather's a bit better next week as we meet outdoors. And we'll be outdoors at Riverstone and it's our opportunity to be the church outside of the building. Remember, this is not the church. And, and what we're going to do on um, the building project that we have is that we're building a building. We're not building a church because the church is sitting in these chairs right now. And the church will be next Sunday at Riverstone. And our prayer is that we would be light to the community that as we worship together, as we pray together, that it's something that's an overflow into that area because God has called us not to reside within these four walls, but to what? To go, to take that message out. And if there was ever a time that the message of the gospel needs to go forth, it is now. So it's a bit of a tweener. Um, as you know, if you're part of Anthem, you know we're a series-based church. Uh, chapter and verse, we ended 1 Timothy. And uh, so next week we'll be in the park, and then the following week we'll pick up in 2 Timothy. So, messy little sermon. It's always good to give an introduction of the speaker. I'm, not, I'm here often. But every so often, I'm gone for about a month or month and a half or whatever to Israel. So in a sense, I should say, yeah, I'm that guy. 
I'm the Israel guy, and I just got back a few weeks ago. And I'm going to share with you some of the things, some of the reasons I went, and some of the experiences that I've had. And I'm hoping that it relates to you. I'm hoping there's an application to this. And so, before I, let me just set the stage by saying, on the Jewish calendar, and by the way, Paul tells us in Romans 15 that for whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of scriptures, that would be the Old Testament that Paul's referring to, we might have hope. And then to the Corinthians, he said, now all of these things that have happened should be examples for us. And they were written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the age have come. And so, this particular upcoming month on the Jewish calendar is the beginning of the new year. This is the time of the very first feast. And, and I think you need to understand that God, when he set up these feasts, did it for, he was intentional in doing it. The feast of the Lord are referred to in the scriptures as a holy convocation. In the Hebrew, the word means they're a rehearsal. They're also referred to as the seasons that God brings in, appointed times. And I think it's important for us to understand what these feasts are all about and how Jesus, the Messiah, is a fulfillment of all those feasts. So it just so happens that on September 15th, we have the very first feast. And it's the feast that's referred to as Rosh Hashanah or the Feast of Trumpets, one of the two. And if you can, with me, try to understand that God circled the calendar with some dates. And he says to his people, these are the appointed times. We need to schedule a meeting together. And so on that particular day, on Rosh Hashanah, is a time, at least as the Jewish culture, stands before God and in a sense says, I'm not concerned about my past year but I am concerned about what you have for me now. What does this new year hold for me? I don't need Satan condemning me because of my past, but every so often I need to recalibrate. I need to be in your presence. I need to meet with you intentionally. And thankfully, we have the Scriptures and we have the Holy Spirit that will prompt us to do just that, to circle a date and to set before the Lord and to say, what's the future hold? What's my next step? 
This is the Feast of Trumpets and the Feast of Rosh Hashanah. And so for me, I have to be transparent because as I said, that's what I love about this church. In all honesty, my life has been messy for some time now. I've walked with God over 50 years. And I've built up a good spiritual reservoir. But lately, I've come to realize that um, my vehicle's been running on fumes. And so I knew that I needed to recalibrate. Have you ever been in a car and, you know, I, I love to tell stories primarily of Israel probably, but I remember being in a rental car and we're driving through the Galilee up to the heights of the Golan on switchbacks. It's a rental car, so you never quite are comfortable with rental cars. You don't know how they work. Uh, you're not, they're not always consistent. And as we started going on these switchbacks, I realized I was losing power. And then when I'd put my foot down on the accelerator, it would cut out. And I'm looking at these switchbacks and I'm thinking, oh my, what, am I going to make it to the top? And, and whatever it is, that sense of something is not right with this vehicle, I'm not getting the power that I need, that was my life. I felt like I've walked with the Lord like 50 years. I love him. I, I did not have a problem when I made a decision to follow him. I don't think I ever... I, I wasn't perfect by any means, but I don't think I ever had a sustained time of backsliding, you know, that phrase. I, I just always had such a deep love for him, and I wanted to please him in all of my ways. And so because of that, I felt like I've, I had built up this reservoir, but it was running out. And I had that sense of my vehicle going up and cutting out and wondering, will I make it across the finish line? Can I, will I make it to the top of the Golan? I'm not sure. And so I knew I needed to recalibrate. And truth be told, I know why. It's been four years now that God said no to me. And because of that no, I've been on these fumes. I've been restless. And I knew I needed to encounter him. I knew I needed this sense of Rosh Hashanah, I needed an appointed time with the Lord. Four years ago is when my middle son went to heaven. 
And um, it was eight years ago we got the news that nobody ever wants to get that he had cancer. And he fought and he fought and he fought and he fought. And many prayers were given. And I'll talk about that in a moment. But ultimately, as a father begging God, he said no. And so I had the fuel. I've been cruising, still going, but I realized uh, I need an appointment. I, I need to recalibrate. My vehicle needs some help. So for me, I went to my wife and I said, you know, I think I need to go back to Israel. And um, I love my wife and she knows me from the inside out. And, uh, and she said, I, I think you do too. And so I went back and I came up with a lot of reasons why. You know, I need to finish the book that I'm writing. I need to do this. I need to do that. But I knew at the heart, I knew why I needed to go back. For me, and this is for me, I've, when I first went to Israel the very first time, I encountered Jesus in a way that I've never encountered him before. And it radically changed my life. And, and I've been blessed for the last 10, 15 years because I'm so passionate about that experience to offer it to others. It is such a joy for me to take people to Israel and to hopefully give them that sort of experience of experiencing Jesus yeah, you can experience him here, there, and everywhere because he's in all of those places, but there's just something about the land. And so I knew I had to get back there. And so I started in Jerusalem. And Jerusalem, it's his city, by the way. It's the city of the great king. I land, I get out, I'm alone. I'm staying in this hostel, and I'm sitting there thinking, I'm going to walk through the streets of Jerusalem and say, here I am, Lord. I'm ready. And as I'm walking through the streets, I know that he's everywhere, but it wasn't the appointed time. So the next morning, I had breakfast and lunch with some friends, mentors for me, and uh, they mean the world to me. And I, I sat with them and I said, I, I'm not in danger of falling away. I'm not, none of that sort of stuff. I just need to encounter Jesus. And I need to know, how do you do it? Have you ever been here? And my friend Lisa, I said, so what do I do? And she said, well, when I'm there, and I've been there, and she is there today. She says, I have to, in my mind's eye, I have to bow down in the shadow of Shaddai. And I heard that, and knowing Lisa, I, I, 
I wanted to write it down because I knew that needed to be a foundation for me. Because Shaddai, that name, El Shaddai, means God Almighty. And I need to realize that God is in charge of everything. His yes is yes, his no is no, and he knows all things. And he's God Almighty. And I need to find rest in the shadow of the Almighty. And then I went to lunch with my other close friend, Michael. And as we were sharing, I said, so how do you do it? And he said, you know, Dan, for me, I know that it's not a magical formula. But for me, and his ministry is in Jerusalem, as a believer, he said, I have to pray the Shema every morning and every evening. And I, I, he said, it's, it's what recalibrates me. I need to say here, and I replace, O Israel, here, Michael, the Lord, the Lord is one, and I will love the Lord with all my heart, with all my soul, with all my strength, with all my mind. And I begin my day that way and say, I give it to you. And so I'm walking away from these meetings and I'm thinking, okay, memory bank, don't forget this, insert, remember, but I still knew this was not the appointed place. And so next up for me is I'm, I'm on the med, I love the area of uh, the Lebanese border, I'm there, and then a few days later I make my way to the Galilee. Now, the Galilee, Jesus' hometown. Most of the times we think that Jesus spent quite a bit of time in Jerusalem. Very little time in Jerusalem, by the way. He spent most of his time in the Galilee. And when you're there, you know why. Okay, you have no doubts about it. And to get to the area that was Jesus' hometown is a place called he, it was Capernaum, but to see that you're on the mountain cliffs of Arbel. And the first time I was on the cliffs of Arbel, looking out over all of the Galilee, I knew this was my place. I could sit up there alone for hours, looking out, looking down at the bottom of our bell, at the base of it is a little city called Magdala. All of these things came alive to me. And so I will always say that our bell's my burial place. As my wife knows, if I go before her, she has to deposit some of me on our bell. So whenever you go, if I'm gone already and you're in our bell, you know I'm there somewhere. Okay? Haunting. No, I won't say that. <laughs> so I love it, and I think this has got to be the place. This will be it. I'll connect here. Had a great time, but it wasn't the place. And I knew. I knew where I needed to go, because as I said, four years ago, God said no to me. 
And in 2009, at the base of Mount Arbel, there was a massive discovery. The town known as Magdala was unearthed. 2009. After thousands of years, this place is unearthed. The goal of the organization that started digging there was to do a hotel complex right on the Sea of Galilee. But whenever you put a shovel in the ground in Israel, you know you're going to find something. And the antiquities people know you're going to find something. And so the prayer is, is that if we've got this big project and we're going to put in this place, let's hope we only find some pottery pieces. Or we find something incredible. And as they put their shovel in the ground in 2009, they found something incredible. What did they find? They found a first century synagogue intact. They found fish pools. They found mikvahs, ceremonial places for washing and cleansing. They found the ancient road. It appears that the mudslide from Arbel just came down one day and covered the city of Magdala. And so things were intact as they began taking it apart. And so because of that, the Catholic Church who owns the land decided we need to do something with this place and make it available to the world. So they built this incredible chapel that has an ancient boat as the altar. And as you're in the back, it's like an infinity pool and you're looking out and it's the Sea of Galilee. It's amazing. And then they took the stones of Magdala down into the basement and they created a prayer chapel down there. Amazing. And so I knew this had to be the place. Why? Biblically speaking, we know it was in this area that two major events took place. One, do you remember the story of the woman that had the flow of blood for 12 years. And it was crowded. We're in the area of Magdala. And it's crowded. And she maneuvers her way. But there's a guy that's the head of that synagogue that's on his way because his daughter is sick unto death. And he knows, I've got to get to Jesus. And if I can get to Jesus, there may be hope. His name was Jairus. And as Jairus is making his way, there's an interruption because Jairus has encountered Jesus. Jesus says, I'll come. But on his way, this woman has the goal to interrupt. And Jesus stops. And she touches the hem of his garment and she's healed. And then the word came, don't bother the teacher any longer because your daughter's dead. And Jesus says to Jairus, you've got to believe. 
And he makes his way, and you know the end of the story. She's healed. And so that chapel down in Magdala has become a place of praying for the sick. For years, we've taken people there. And for years, you're on those ancient stones of Magdala. And you're remembering, you're seeing the portrait that's painted there of the woman touching the hem of his garment. And you can almost hear Jairus in the background. And as you're there, you begin to pray for the sick, the, the, those that need a desperate touch from the Lord. And for four plus years, my son's name was always brought up. We're going to pray for Trevor. We're going to pray for a miracle. Dan, you're Jairus. You're on your way. Let's pray. Let's believe by faith. And every time I left that place, I thought, there's healing in the wings. But four years ago, God said no. And my son died. And my son went to heaven. And I've been limping these last four years. And so when I got to Magdala, I knew I had to have this encounter, right? And I get there, and I'm content to say, I'm going to sit in the synagogue. I love the Word of God. There's the Bema seat there. I'm just going to spend time with Jesus in the synagogue. And Jesus said, that's good, but that's not the place. And so I then said, well, I'm going down to the Galilee, okay, which is less than from here to the bleachers, in a sense. And I'm just going to sit and put my feet in the Galilee, and let's talk, Jesus. And Jesus says, no, that's not quite the place yet. And I said, I know where I do not want to go. I do not want to go down to that prayer chapel. And I came up with all the reasons why I couldn't, Okay. It's crowded. There's tours that are going to go through. I'll be interrupted. No, no, no. But I went, and I sat, and for three hours, not a soul came by. And I was alone, and I felt like the Lord said, open the word to Micah. Recalibration, right? I'm going to read from Micah 6. It says, hear what the Lord says. Arise and plead your case before the mountains. And let the hills hear your voice. Hear, you mountains, the indictment of the Lord and you enduring foundations of the earth for the Lord has an indictment against his people, and he will contend with Israel. And that setting was there. It's as if it's a courtroom, and God's saying, I've got the cliffs of Arbel. I've got the Sea of Galilee. I'm bringing everything in, Dan, for this meeting. We're going to encounter one another. And I got a question for you, Daniel. And then it becomes personal. And aren't you glad the word of God is personal? Aren't you glad that it can speak to you 
where you're at. And so as I read this, I read in verse 3, oh, my people, but I read, oh, Dan, what have I done to you? And how have I wearied you? For I brought you up from the land of Egypt. I redeemed you from the house of slavery. I set before you Moses, Aaron, and Miriam. And as I was reading that, I couldn't wait to interrupt the Lord. Okay? Ever been there? My wife asked me the other day. We were in a conversation, and I raised my hand and said, I got something to say. And she says, can you wait a second? We were meeting with another couple. And finally, when it was all done, she said, okay, what was it? And she said, by the way, did you even hear anything that was said here, or were you just waiting to talk? And I said, yeah, I was waiting to talk. I got no idea, you know, what you guys were talking about. I and that was this, this me here, okay? God's saying, hey, I got this. I'm going to deal with you, and I can't wait to talk. Because if he's got an indictment against me, I recognize all that he's done for me. I love him with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength. But I had to go on. And I had to read, and it was my emotional response to him. Micah writes, I, I felt like I said, what do you want from me? What is your expectations for me? Can I ever please you? Or am I going to limp through this life, the rest, uh, limp the rest of my life through this? What do you want out of me? Ever been there? Ever wonder what the Lord has in mind for you? That was me. And so then I read, with what shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before God on high? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Will you be pleased with thousands of rams, with ten thousands of rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? And then I heard him speak as I'm sitting now on the floor, Bible opened in this prayer chapel. And I read, he's told you, Dan, what is good and what does the Lord require of you? You need to love justice. You need to love kindness. And you need to walk humbly with me. Justice. This is my meeting. This is what you require of me. This is my recalibration. What's justice? Dan, your daily actions need to be rooted in the Word of God. You need to do what's right. Each morning that you sit before me, you need to declare that I'm God and you're not. Pretty deep, isn't it? 
You need to declare that I am the Lord God Almighty. Do justice. Do what's right. And in this upcoming year, my friends, if we think 2020 was a mess, I'm going to tell you something. We ain't seen nothing yet. And the people of God need to do justice. We need to know what the Word of God says and walk in it. And then he says you need to love kindness. Kindness. I've seen the shirts. You've seen them, right? Be kind. I like them. But I think we misunderstand what kindness truly is all about. Kindness is really not a soft word. We don't measure our kindness by how we treat our friends. Such a kind person, so nice. The truth is, it's just the opposite. Kindness is best measured by how we treat those who disagree with us, those who oppose us. Kindness requires selfless risks, yielding, trusting. Trusting what? That he is the Lord and we're not. And our actions and how we treat one another will far outweigh any of our words. And then the last, to walk humbly with your God. I go back to Lisa. This is not a works-based message. I'm not saying you need to do these exact things that I'm doing and you're going to be recalibrated. All I'm saying is this is how the Lord dealt with me. And I needed to declare to him that his no was okay. I needed to, to bow before him on my knees and say, you're God, I'm not. Four years later, I still got a hole in my gut. Last Thursday, I call it a thick day. It'll never go away. But I'm okay. It is well with my soul. Why? Because he's God and I'm not. And whatever God may be putting before you, you may not agree with. But I'm going to suggest to you that you seek an audience. After all, it's Rosh Hashanah. It's coming up. And if you ever wonder, what's this next year hold in my life? What's next for me? Seasons come. Seasons go. The times they are a-changing, the constant, the anchor, the foundation is your time with Jesus. Angela's going to come up and lead us in communion at this time. 
And I think my application piece is simply this. So what about you? Where are you these days? Isn't it perfect that we have an encounter available for you? Communion. And we're told, don't rush through this. This is a time of reflection. This is your opportunity to be with him. A time to search, a time to reflect, and a time to be. Know this. None of these things that you do earn your salvation. None. The work that we're remembering is what gives you your salvation. He did it all. Amen. In 1 Corinthians 11, Paul recounts uh, Jesus' instructions to his disciples when he explained the Passover to them and instituted what we call communion or the Lord's Supper or the Eucharist, depending on your church background. And just for those of you that are new and may not have participated with us before, just logistically in a few minutes, I'll invite you to come forward. And there's tables, a couple tables in the back and three up front. Um, we invite you to take a little stack of cups and the crackers in the bottom and the juices in the top. And all of the crackers are gluten-free, so don't worry about that. Uh, but in 1 Corinthians 11, starting in verse 23, Paul says, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. And then he adds, for as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Carmen Joy Imes says that true community is made possible by the physical presence and shared participation in communion. Because it's in this experience that we have the opportunity to preach the gospel to one another to remind each other of our equal need for the cross and for the body and blood of Jesus, for his death and for his resurrection. As we all come forward this morning, uh, it, it doesn't matter where you're at this morning. Some of us are gonna come forward and we're struggling with looking for work and being out of work. And some of us are pulling six-figure incomes. Some of us are California transplants and some of us are Idaho natives. And some of us know exactly what we think. We have our theology all figured out and we know every piece of doctrine that we need to know. And some of us aren't even sure where we're starting. Some of us are battling hopelessness and some are battling arrogance. Some of us have been faithfully married for years and years and others may be struggling with same-sex attraction. But we're all among those who need the gospel. 
and those that have chosen to follow Christ were equally participants in Christ's death, burial, and resurrection, equal in need of what he has done for us. So I invite you to come forward this morning, and then I'd just like to encourage you to circle up with a few people, because communion wasn't meant to be done alone. It's a reminder that this is for us. So if you brought friends or family or have community members with you this morning, um, I encourage you to just circle up for a minute and thank Jesus for what he's done for you together. And if you notice somebody that's by themselves, pull them into your circle and just invite you to go ahead and come up. I'm going to pray for us really quick and then go ahead and and come partake. Jesus, we just uh, thank you so much for what you have done for us, Lord, that you took on flesh and came that you willingly sacrificed your body and your blood for us so that we uh, have the benefit of the gospel. As Dan said, that we don't have to earn this, Lord. We're all struggling in one way or another. And the world wants to tell us uh, that we're enough. The world wants to tell us that we can achieve our own success, that we can be all that we need to be. And the reality is we just really are desperately in need of you. And so we just thank you that you have provided the answer for us, the solution for us, and given life that's available to all of us. In Jesus' name, amen.